Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So, uh, everything I know about being a mother, I've learned from watching them, because I've never been a mother, right? The funny thing is that moms and dads typically do things totally different. Wouldn't you agree with that? Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. And, and the difference is, you know, they're, they're pretty um, stereotypical, I guess. But uh, I'm, I can only give you my dad and mom and then uh, Shannon and I. But, you know, I tend to be the, the push out and, and go fly. And she tends to be the come and let's be tender and kind and gentle, right? Anybody else experience that same dynamic in their family? They had one that pushed them out and one that brought them in. I actually think that's the design that, that from God. I think it's supposed to be that way. I think there should be uh, a tension there because if you have all one side or the other, then you have an unbalanced person. So you should have both of those, uh, those pushing and pulling. 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to look at a story um, about a mother who I think gives us a... a um, a model of what a mother's number one job should be, right? I think that it gives us this understanding of, of what a mother should do for their children. Um, and so I say that, though, because it's not just for mothers. I think this is all of us. I think we should all have this mentality. But particularly, if a mother can give this away to her child, she has succeeded. And you ask, what is that? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 4, here's a story, seven verses of a woman who finds herself in a desperate situation. And she chooses to believe God. And when she believes God, God shows up in a marvelous way. And her children are able to say, ah, that's what God is like. That is the big picture of this text. So let's look at it. 2 Kings chapter 4. One of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now, the cre now a creditor is coming to take my two children and his slaves. So right away we find the predicament. She is in this uh, situation where her husband has died, so she's a widow. She has two sons, and then she has some servants. And the creditors, somehow or another, she owed some money, probably for the house, maybe for the land. The creditors have come to her and said, you have got to pay us, or we're going to take your children, and we're going to take your servants. And this is an impossible situation, because as we're going to find out, she's broke. She has nothing but the roof over her head and a little bit of oil in a jar, and so she does what she should do, and this is what I want to pass on to you. When we get in that desperate situation, what we do matters. What we typically will do is we try to fix the problem, and we have this saying, when all else fails, pray. You ever heard that? When all else fails, pray. That is the wrong idea. Actually, before all else fails, pray. Desperate is desperate. I mean, think about it. What does it make sense to try all that you can try and then go, well, I can't do anything about it. I might as well go to God. Why not just go to God in the first place and say, Lord, I trust you. And because I trust you, I'm asking you to help me. 
I'm asking you to show up. I think maybe it's because we don't believe that God really wants to help. I think that some of us haven't gotten to the point where we realize that, number one, God wants to help, and number two, that God can help. And what I want to give to you today is a great faith. I want to give to you today this idea and understanding and this belief that our God is exactly who he says he is. He doesn't waver. He doesn't change. He doesn't, he doesn't move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Turn a person next to you and say, that's, that's good, right? I want you to leave this place today saying, I believe God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all I could ever ask or imagine. I want you to leave this place today not fearing anyone or anything because you know that you have a father who is the perfect father in every situation. And he not only wants you to go to him, but you can go to him and he'll answer. And so this woman demonstrates this. She has this problem and so she cries out to Elisha. She goes to the man of God. Now the good news for you is this. You don't have to go to the man of God to hear from God. The good news is, we believe in this understanding of the priesthood of the believer. That means if you follow Jesus, you have a direct line to God the Father. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through anybody. You can go straight to God. But we all know that oftentimes when we're in a desperate situation, we go to somebody who knows Jesus because we want backup, right? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You go to somebody who knows Jesus and you say, hey, I need you to help me talk to God about this. That's totally okay. But the important thing is, some of you are that man of God for somebody. And when that somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need you to help me talk to Jesus about this, it is really, really important that you point him to Jesus, not to someone else. And see, you can't point him to a Jesus that you don't fully believe in. I'm not talking about fully believe exists. I'm talking about fully believe is who he says he is. So that's why it's important for you and for me to fully believe that our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all we could ever ask or think. Amen? Turn to the person next to you, Will, if you will. I want you to just repeat after me. Our God is able to do exceedingly, use your hands, talk, you, you pretend like you're, you're exceedingly, abundantly more than all we could ask or think according to his riches, right? So this is, the, this, is the, this is why you and I need to believe this. And I'm not talking about just believing it. Yeah, I believe that. I'm talking about believing it so much that when you get stuck in the wall, you go, you know what? I ain't worried. I'm not, I'm not shaken. I'm not afraid because I have a God who is a father and he's perfect in every single possible way. And so this woman believed that. She went to the man of God, and Elijah asked her, What can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? So he responds very well. Elisha responds to the woman, Okay, so tell me the situation. What do you have? Have you ever heard that before? You remember Jesus asked the same question. Okay, you don't have enough? So what do you have? All I got is two loaves and five fishes, or two fishes and five loaves, one or the other, right? I, I, can make, I can make two and a half sandwiches. That's what I've got. Well, your not enough is more than enough for God. 
Because God always takes your not enough and makes it more than enough. And even then, he gives you extra just to show you that he is a God who cares, loves you, and provides for you. Now look, we're not asking these things because we're selfish. We're not asking these things because we, we want a bigger plane or a bigger house. We're not asking these things for us. We're asking these, these things ultimately because asking says, God, I trust you. And asking also says, God, I want you to be glorified in my life in every situation. This woman is about to be a demonstration of God's power to her children. As a mother, as a father, as a follower of Jesus, you are a demonstration of God's power to your children to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers, and even to your enemies. When you trust God, God says, now there's somebody I'm going to uphold, uh, hold up with my right hand, and I'm going to do marvelous things in his life or her life, because I want to show the rest of the people. Do you know that that's God's ultimate goal, is to declare his glory? When he created all of creation, that was his purpose. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, Right? In the fullness of the earth, all that he made, he did that so he could show you and me that he's God. That's the purpose. He wants to do that in your life. And so he says, tell me what you have. And your servant, she said, your servant has nothing. Your servant is truly broke. I'm poor. I, got, I don't have nothing. I've got less than nothing. Oh, except for this little jar of oil. Now, you would think that that would be a strange thing. But I think... I just, I, just, I just believe that God is at work always in our lives. I think that she had just enough oil so that she had nothing but the oil because God gave her enough that she can move on her faith and trust him for more. Does that make sense? So I believe whatever you have, whatever I have, has been given to us by God so that he can multiply what we have into something that reminds us that he is our father. So what do you have? I got a little bit of jo uh, oil. I don't think it was a big jug. I think it was like a, like a pint, you know, or like, like, a, like a little teeny tiny. I got a little bit of oil. I got enough to make one more piece of bread if I could find some flour. And so the man of God says, go out and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Don't just get a few. Then go in, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to the side. Then she left. So this is a strange plan. I mean, if you ask me, this is not what I would have said to the woman. You know, I would, I would have had a different idea of how to solve her problem. Probably one of the things to say would be, go to your neighbors and ask them if you can have a little bit of oil. And if all of your neighbors give you a little bit of oil, you'll have enough to get by. It's not what he said. He said, go and get empty vessels. Go and get empty jars. And don't just get a few. I want you to get a bunch of them. Now, in the footnote here, or in the, in the side script, here's what he's saying. If you'll get a bunch, God will fill a bunch. Now, I hope that she heard this, and I, and I think that she did based on what I'm reading here. But do you know that God will bless you in accordance to the measure of your own faith? He will. Now, it takes great faith to have nothing, leave the house, go find empty containers, and bring them back to the house. That makes no sense whatsoever. That is not a rescue plan. And yet, 
By doing so, she is saying, even though it doesn't make sense, I can't, trust, I can't trace the plan, but I can trust his heart. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he's going to do it. Folks, I want you to have that kind of faith. I want you to have the kind of faith that says, look, it don't matter. That's bad English, but it sounds better. It don't matter what it looks like out there. My God is able because the Bible says that that's who he is. And if that's who he says he is, then he is who he is, a man and a man. So she gets the jars And then verse 5, after she left, she shut the door behind her and her sons, and they kept bringing her containers, and she kept pouring. So here's the cool part. These sons are seeing a miracle of God right before their eyes because their mother chose to believe God even when it didn't make sense. Do you see how this works? Your number one job as a mom, teach your children to trust God. You believe in God so that they will believe in God. Now, it doesn't always work out that they do, but more times than not, if you'll fully trust him and you'll demonstrate that in your life, they're going to at least catch a glimpse of it, right? At least eventually they're going to go, wait a minute, here's what my mama said. Mama said there'll be days done. So, I know how old you are. (laughs) Oh, what? So, so she goes in, she shuts the door. I think she shut the door because I think it was a matter of her saying, look, I think God was saying, go in and shut the door. Depend on nothing else except for what I've told you to do. Because isn't it interesting how we like to add things to God's plan? God gives us a plan and we're like, okay, great, I'm going to make that one better. God, you said to do this, but I think if I do this, then your plan will be even better. And I'll... No, God said, look, just do what I say to do. Anybody ever struggle with that besides me, right? Just do what he says to do. Even if it doesn't make sense, if God clearly speaks, just clearly follow. Sometimes God will lead you into something that makes no sense whatsoever because he's testing your faith to build your faith so that you can give your faith. And then sometimes it's like, wow, God, that makes perfect sense. As long as you've heard from the Lord... You can trust in whatever he says. So they go in this room, and the sons keep bringing jars in. I can imagine it now. Billy comes in carrying this giant jar, right? She fills it up, and this little tiny thing just keeps, it's like, I don't know how that's working, but okay. And then uh, Tommy comes in. He's like, here you go. And then after a while, Billy goes, Mom, Tommy keeps bringing the little jars and making me bring the, bring the big jars. Can you do, I mean, if there was brothers, you know that there had to be something like that, Right? I mean, that, that's just the way. So after a while of this happening, the mom said, all right, bring me another jar. And they go, we have no more jars. And the Bible says the oil stopped flowing. There's a reason God puts that in his word. I think the truth here is this. God will bless you according to your faith. He will bless you as much as you trust him. Now, do you think that there was no more oil? No. There was an endless supply of oil. They only had a number of jars to receive it. And I think in your life, the more faith you have in who God is, the more you can watch God do amazing things. And I say amazing. Listen, ordinary things. Amazing, ordinary, regular, and all in between. We serve a God who wants to prove himself faithful. 
And I have to tell you, I, I am so convinced about this, and, and you, this is a constant theme in my preaching. If you've been listening at all, you know that I'm constantly talking about trusting God and about the character of God. Here's why. I believe we're coming into a day of very difficult times. I mean, when I look at the world, when I look at the chaos going on, when I look at, look at global governments, when I look at the monetary systems in the world that are barely hanging on by a thread, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that at some point the whole thing is going to crumble, right? I mean, it, it just it's like, wow, when you look at the kind of government control that governments are having over people, what we can know for sure is that Jesus said there are hard times coming in the last days. The reason this is so important to me is because you will not be able to make it through those days unless you have a secure, firm foundation in who Jesus Christ is. I want you to leave this place every single Sunday saying, I believe that my God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all I could ever ask or imagine. I do not need to fear anything the world has to bring against me because I can have nothing and I will still have enough because God is a God of miracles when miracles are needed. He's a God of plenty and he blesses me so I can be a blessing to others. That's just the God we serve. But see, the difference is it's not for us. It's for him. It's for His glory. It's for His name. And when we get into that mindset, literally there is nothing to fear. Nothing. Turn, if you will, a, a, couple, of a couple of books over into uh, Isaiah chapter 51. I did not even know this passage existed until uh, it was shared with me later in the week. Um, what a marvelous passage. Isaiah 51. The whole chapter is great. But I want to look at just verse 12 through 16. And, and I want you to go back and read all of Isaiah 51, if you will. Do, do that later on this week. But, but listen to what God says about himself. Isaiah 51, starting in verse 12. He says, I, I am the Lord. Now, the reason he says it twice is because he, he's, it's a way of him going, look, look, look up here, look up here. Hey, I, me, not him, not them, I, I am the Lord. He's basically saying, look at no one else but me. He says, I am the Lord who comforts you. That is a strange thing for God to say. If you ask me, because... I usually think of God, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm not thinking biblically, if I'm just thinking of what, what is God or who is God, I'm thinking of this giant, oh, all-inspiring, powerful being, right? I don't think of a God who nurtures and who comforts. Because it seems, it seems counter who God is. But listen, I want to say God is the whole package Everything we need in a mother and a father, our God is. He's the one who pushes us out, and he's the one that draws us in. He's the one that gives us peace, and he's the one that sometimes causes trouble. He's the whole package. And so he, God says of himself, by the way, I should have mentioned, this is not for everyone. This is not for everyone who reads it. There is a condition on this. I, I am the Lord who comforts you, but who's the you? 
we know in the first verse who that you is. It's conditional. It's only those, listen to me, verse 1, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. God is not a God who comforts you if you don't seek Him. There has to be a relationship there. Everybody doesn't have God as Father. Now, everyone has God as Creator, but He's not the Father of everyone. Matter of fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you serve your father, the devil, right? The father of lies. So, so this is for those who trust in Jesus. So if you trust in Jesus, here's, here's what he says. I'm the God who comforts you. And then he asks a question. I love this. He says, who are you that you should fear mere humans who die? I mean, do you find the humor in that like I do? He's going... So I am God who comforts you. Why again are you feeling, fearing humans who die? I mean, he puts humans in their place. He's essentially saying, you're fearing someone whose lifespan is about that big? I'm the God who comforts you. And then he goes on to say what he does in verse 13. He says, you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens. And laid the foundations of the earth. In my mind, I go to Gatlinburg to the, to the taffy store, right? And, I, and, and I'm just, because that's the only stretched out I know of, right? And so I'm watching this guy, and he's stretching this taffy. You ever been there? And you get the free samples? That's a, so he's stretching. The Bible says, I, I stretched out the heavens, right? I laid the foundations of the earth. This is the God who comforts you. Why are you fearing men who die? Why are you fearing the son of man who withers like grass? Why are you fearing the news that there's not enough? Why are you fearing the news that says there's chaos and war and famine? Listen, the safest place for you to ever be is in the center of the will of God. No matter if that's in the middle of a civil war or that's on a mountaintop in the Colorado Rockies. The safest place for you to be is in the very center of the will of God. Because that means that you're with God and he's leading you and he's directing you. So it goes on to say, the prisoner, or actually go up just a little bit. You are in constant dread all day long because of the fury of the oppressor who has set himself to destroy. I read an article this week. It said that is a psychologist explaining why, why the average American is in constant, uh, constantly um, in, in exhausted and, and feeling dread. And the explanation was, hey, we just went through two and a half years of the COVID crisis and, and we never got a chance to recover from that because we went from all of that right back into work and trying to get normal. And it's done something to our minds and it's done something to our bodies and it's done something to our soul. And the psychologist says, look, what you're experiencing is perfectly normal. What I want to say to you that we have a God who refreshes the soul even in the midst of that. 
But you find that when you search for him. You find that when you run to him. The problem is, listen, this sounds harsh, but we have chosen to, to let Netflix and Disney Plus and Prime soothe our soul. And it never will. It will only bring us deeper into a pit of despair. Can I get a witness on that? We run to media to try to find soothing. And instead of media, we need to shut it all down and we need to come to God's word and we need to read things like, I, I am the one who comforts you. And we need to let God whisper his peace into our hearts. Now look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I, I mean, we're all in this, right? So I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying at some point we're going to have to turn to Jesus and just say, Jesus, you really all are that I, all that I have. Listen, this past week, we had our insurance agent for the church come and sit down in my office. He said, look, we've got to re-sign this contract this month. And uh, the bad news is that, that your insurance has increased 30%. So it went from like $36,000 to $43,000 or $44,000. And by the way, we're underinsured for our buildings. If a hurricane were to wipe it out, we don't have enough insurance to rebuild it. It's way underinsured. But at some point, how much can you spend on insurance, right? And so he said, the good news is, I'm telling churches they are 100 or 150% increase. Just last week, a church went from about 40000 to over 200000 for their building. And I told him, I said, you know, I think we're going to have to eventually get to the point where we say... If God can't keep this building standing, then he has another plan for us. See, I want us to be a church that says, we're going to be reasonable and do the best we can with what we've got. But at some point, we're going to have to not trust in horses and chariots, but we're going to have to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that means that we're going to take a risk, but the risk we're taking is that God is who he says he is, rather than the risk of some earthly system. Does that make sense? Because here's what could happen. We could pay all of our insurance money and the insurance company goes, hey, too many claims, we're bankrupt. God will never be bankrupt. I can tell you that God has the ability to cover this place should he desire to do so. Should we cry out to him and say, Father, we're trusting in you. This is all we got. We don't have a company that's going to insure us. And God says, that's okay. I made the heavens and the earth. I can certainly take care of a couple small buildings. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And my thinking is this. That's great freedom because at some point we can say, hey, let's take that $50,000 we were going to spend and we can use it on the kingdom of God in a way that's different. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be reasonable. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying at some point we're going to have to trust God more than what we trust him today. And I think God's ready for that. I, I think that maybe God is allowing the pressure and even putting the pressure on us to cause us to say, do you trust him or do you not trust him? Now, I'm going to have insurance on my car because I don't trust the people. God's not going to sue me, but they will. But listen, at some point, at some point, we have to trust our Father, right? Listen to what he says. Verse 14, the prisoner is soon to be set free. He will not die and go to the pit. If you've ever been in prison or if you know anybody in prison, that is a hopeless situation. And God is declaring freedom. He's saying, look, the prisoner where there's no hope is soon to be set free. He is not going to go to the pit. And then he goes on to say, for I am the Lord your God 
who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. And in my mind, if God can create the storm, God can calm the storm. And in my mind, if he allows it to happen, then he can take care of the consequences of it happening. I literally, in my life and in Shannon's, we, are, we have said to the Lord and we're trying to daily say to the Lord, Lord, we are totally yours. Whatever you want to take, you take. Whatever you want to give, you give. It's your responsibility, God. We are stewards of what belongs to you. So it's yours. And as stewards, we'll, we'll be faithful. He goes on to say, His name is the Lord of armies. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand in order to plant the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. That's the key. God does what he does in our life as a way of demonstrating to the rest of the world who are not his people that his people are provided for because he is their God. He is their father. I think sometimes we keep ourselves out of our own trouble. And it, and it, and it steals sometimes the glory from God. Because, I mean, think about it. What is it in your life right now that if God doesn't show up, you are just, there, there's no hope. See, in, in so many of our areas of our life, we are so self-sufficient. If we want it, we just go earn it, we go buy it, right? I mean, that's a noble thing, but at some point, the condition of our heart has to be, God, I trust you. I, I talked with, with someone in this room today and dealing with a medical problem, and they told me, they said, look, I just, I have to trust the Lord. I couldn't do anything about it. And the Lord has been faithful. There is a resolute confidence in the character and nature of God because of the trial and because of the sickness that on this side of it, here's the attitude. I belong to Jesus. None of us is going to get out of this thing alive. So I'm just going to trust him to do his work in my life as far as he wants me to go. Amen? Is that right? That's right. See, I did use that story and didn't even reveal who you are. That was a good job, wasn't it? Good job, Jeff. Well, we talked about it earlier. So so go back to 2 Kings 4. I need to, I need to wrap this up. Um, there, is, there is another story that comes on the heels of this, this widow that I just want to kind of give you an overview. Please go back and read it because I think that it just, it just is icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top of the milkshake. It, it, it's like God saying, if you didn't believe it so far, let me just show you one more time. This woman is a Shunammite woman, and she was wealthy. She and her husband were well-to-do, and Elisha was traveling through the town. And she saw him traveling through as a man of God, and she said, you know what? Come on in and have, have dinner with us. So she, he came in, and he had dinner, and after he left, the woman said to her husband, listen, I think we should build a special room for him so that when he's traveling, he doesn't have to stay in an Airbnb. You know, he doesn't have to go to Holiday Inn Express. He, he can just come to our house, and we'll, we'll call it the prophet's room. So the husband says, well, honey, okay, if you want to do it, let's do it. So they build a special room in their house, and every time this prophet comes through, he has a warm plate of food, and he has a, a, a comfortable place to sleep. She's honoring him. 
And then one time that he comes through, he notices that she's got this distress in her life. He says, what's going on? What, what can I do for you? She says, I'm barren. I have no children. And I'm old and my husband's old and we're going to die without an heir. Without somebody to carry on the name. I want to be a mom. And Elisha says, so it will be. And she says to him, you're not lying to me, are you? Go back and read it. It's really cool. You're not telling me a lie, are you? No, I'm not telling you a lie. As surely as I'm standing here today, you will have a child. And sure enough, after he leaves, she becomes pregnant. She has a child, right? God has answered her prayers. Well, in verse 12, or excuse me, verse 18, the child grew. And it says, one day, he was out in the field with his father, and he says, my head hurts. I've got a headache. Now, we don't know how old he is, but he was probably a young boy based on the scenario. He said, Dad, my head hurts, and so he did what every father would do. Here, go see your mother, right? I mean, I don't know how, but moms have this super spidey sense. They know when something's going on. So many times in our marriage, she said, Jeff, Hannah's sick, or Josh has an ear infection. I'm like, oh, they're fine. Sure enough, she takes him to the doctor, and she's got an ear infection. So after about a thousand times of that happening, I finally go, yeah, she, he's sick. Go ahead, right? I don't even question it anymore. Moms just have that ability, right? So the servant takes the boy to the mom, and the Bible says that the mom sat, <clears throat> sat um, the child on her lap until noon. And then the next three words are tragic. And then he died. Picture this. Your son's got a headache. So you're sitting in the rocking chair, rocking this little boy. And this little boy in your lap dies. Her first response is to trust the Lord. She gets up, carries him up to the prophet's room, lays the child on the bed, locks the door, and then runs to find the prophet. Now remember, they could not go directly to God. They went through men of God at those times. They could, but I mean, they, that was just the system, right? They didn't have that access that we have. And so she goes and finds the prophet, brings, and the prophet at first says, hey, I'll just send my servant. And he tells the servant, servant, go and do these things in the child. And she tells him, I will not leave your side until you come. She was not going to give up until the prophet had come because she wanted the best for her child. And she didn't want to take any chances either. And sure enough, the servant comes back and says, look, he didn't wake up. Well, then I'll go. So the prophet goes in, and ultimately the prophet goes mouth to mouth and lays on this child and essentially breathes the Spirit of God back into this child. And this child begins to be warm, and then ultimately this child lives. Here's the point of the story. The point of the story is this. That mother fully believed God. And that mother was fully blessed by God. And then that mother became desperate again for God. In our minds, we think that God is just going to pave a way all the way up to what we want to do. No roadblocks, no hindrances, no difficulties. And we just look and say, man, this life is going to be easy. And Jesus said, that's not the way it is at all. 
What's going to happen is your life is going to be full of mountains and your life is going to be full of valleys. It's going to be full of obstacles and it's going to be full of blessings. It's both and, not either or. But listen, I am the same God on the top of the mountain that I am in the bottom of the valley. In fact, you will not find God the same way at the top of the mountain as you will find him in the valley. At the top of the mountain, you're impressed by the view. In the valley, you're impressed by his character. And because of, because of who he is. Because you don't need God on the mountain like you need him in the valley. But all of that is so you can say, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything I could possibly ask or even think. Guys, I have clung to this verse all week long, and I have recited it over and over and over, and I will tell you this, it's almost like I have a new lease on life. I don't know how, but something in me has clicked, and I am seeing God in every single conversation and every single time, I'm like, wow, God, you're going to have to stop. I don't say that out loud, but I'm thinking to myself, God, you really are God. He will open doors that you can't open. And he will close doors that need to be closed. Because he's God. He's the God who comforts you. Amen? So this morning, remember this. We have good news. This good news lives in us. And because of that, everywhere we go, we are a demonstration of God's great grace. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've trusted Christ and you just, you're just not fully convinced that He is who He says He is. Will you lay down whatever it is that's keeping you from Him? And just choose to believe him. Childlike faith, mustard seed faith, is the start. But that's not the goal. The mustard seed faith that Jesus talks about moves mountains is so that you can grow into great faith. With mustard seed faith, there's a little bit of doubt. With Jesus-like faith, there is no doubt. It's what causes you to be able to walk into the crack houses or into the fire with full confidence that your God has gone before you, He is behind you, and He's beside you. That's why you can drive anywhere in the earth, you can walk through any neighborhood, and you don't have to fear what anybody else is going to do to you because your God is your provider and your protector. Believe that. He is the Lord your God. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your kindness to us today. Lord, I pray that through all of my talking, that you would help us to hear your voice. God, help us to truly, truly trust in you. God, remove any fear and any doubt. And Lord, where there is fear and doubt, replace it with hope and with confidence and with faith that you are who you say you are. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this place today who's in a desperate situation, 
I pray that my words would comfort, but I pray more than that, that my words would cause them to turn to you and truly hold on to you. Father, I ask that you would bless us today. For your name's sake. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.